But anyway, for the past four weeks, and in full honestly, for, for several weeks preceding them, we've been talking about living a focused life. That is a life that is focused on important core components to help bring our lives within a closer alignment with God's will for our lives. And despite our best efforts, and, and Lord knows we make good efforts sometimes and sometimes not so much, we still fall short of a life of complete surrender and reverence for our Heavenly Father. There always remains a notable difference between how we live our lives and how God created us to live it. So I titled this message, Mind the Gap, and, and the picture on the screen will make more sense here in a minute. But if you've ever had an opportunity to ride on a subway in Europe and perhaps even parts of the United States, you may be familiar <laughs> with this phrase. And whether it's a, a variation in the height between the, the platform and the, the train and the track or, or where there's a curve, you know, and so there's this gap uh, between the, the edge and, and where you, you board, they call that the gap. And, and the train comes to stop and the doors open and there's this audible message playing overhead, a recording, kind of like what you hear in an airport. It says, mind the gap, mind the gap. And it just repeats it over and over, mind the gap and then, you know, watch the doors. Um, and, and this is much more of a British version of, of our common phrase, watch your step. But mind the gap, it almost is, is, has this oh, feel to it because it's such an iconic thing when you ride the, the, trube, the tubes in, in London. But I want to use this as an expression, as a means to draw attention to the danger of the gap that exists between God's perfect will and our lives. We need to mind that gap. You see, from the very beginning, all of creation, including us, was good. God had created everything upon the earth, the, the plants, the animals, the sea and the land itself, everything. And each step along the way, God paused and declared that he had done to be good. Good. Now, when God says something good, you know, it's not like, boy, ice cream's good. I mean, this is God saying this is good and perfect and exactly as it should be. And for five days, the scripture refers to them. This happened repeatedly. He created this and he said it was good. And he created this and he said it was good. Now, I'm going to begin reading at Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So a little side note here. If you dive into the original um, wording of this, it, we're supposed to rule over it as he rules over heaven, we rule over the earth. Now, if we have a God that's loving and just and takes care of creation, if we're to rule over this creation, like he does that, we're supposed to care for it and love it and protect it, okay? So that is where that comes from. And a lot of that gets lost because we just think we have dominion, it's our world, we rule over it. But he's saying we're supposed to rule over it like he rules over heaven, okay? So we have a responsibility. That'll be an Earth Day message, but I want to put that in there because it is important. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all, to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was so. In verse 31, God saw all that he had made, everything, including us, 
and it was very good. See, God created us as good, a good thing, and divinely declared it as such, right? He, he ordained us as, as something that was good, very good, and we were created to be good. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast for his wisdom or the strong man boast for his strength or the rich man boast for his riches, right? If we have these things, that's not what makes us good, right? He says, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, meaning God, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord, right? This is what we're supposed to be doing here. We are to exercise kindness and justice and righteousness. Micah 6, 8, also a First Testament prophet. He has showed you, O man, what is good. So what is good? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So not only is it to walk with God, but to do so justly to love mercy and walk humbly and the apostle paul from his letter to the early church in ephesus ephesians 2 10 for we are god's workmanship right we are his creation created in christ jesus to do good works for which god prepared in advance for us to do we have a purpose here we were created and declared good and we are to do good 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So you think about that. We, we, we know we're going to be judged someday, but part of this is according to what we've done in the body. The body, right? The, the, here on earth. According to what we've done, whether good or bad, we'll be judged. The Apostle Paul had written a letter to his protege Titus, which included many instructions and words of encouragement. We often read the ones to Timothy, but, but Titus is, is similar. And several included references to the good works of God's people. And they used terms like, be zealous for good works. In all things, showing yourself to a pattern of good works. Right? He said, go and do, go and do good. To obey, to be ready for every good work. These are all stretched throughout Titus 2 and 3. And he says, for those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. And he also said, and let your people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful, right? There's our purpose to be good. And I hope you hear the message from his own words that God created you as good, something of righteousness and of great value, and also to be good by doing good. And I certainly hope that this is not new news to you. And of course, we must consider the passage from 1, James 1, 22, that has served as our focus of intentionality for this year of 2022. It says, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. See, this is, this is the step of taking God's goodness created in us and putting it into action of doing good for others as a reflection of him and his will for our lives. This kind of closes that gap, brings us more in alignment to, to his will and purpose for our life. And we are promised a judgment for this effort for our part that will result in blessing or judgment based on, on the decisions we make. Revelations twenty two twelve says, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Church, we've seen it in this very room. 
putting our faith into action, loving and caring for other people, and seeking a closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ provides blessing in this world and in this moment. How many people have literally said, thank God, in response to something that we have done for them or given to them in his name? I've only been a part of this congregation for close to seven years and in serving it in in a a, a capacity for, for close to seven of those. And I can only imagine what has been done through the prayers and faithful actions and generosity of this 42-year-old congregation that is Golden Beach Community Church. Well done. Let's not get complacent and let's not let up for even a moment. There's much work to be done here. And God is blessing us richly to, to continue in this. But I digress because despite our very best efforts at these things, we still fall short of a life of complete surrender and reverence for our Heavenly Father. There's always remains a notable difference between how we live our lives and how God created us to live it. This started with the very first of us when we decided to disobey God's instructions in the garden. Ever since that moment, there have been three consistencies throughout history. First, we've been trying to reestablish that personal relationship with God, right? We want back in that personal walking with God in the garden, paradise, with him in the flesh, in presence, presence, right? That's one. Number two, God wants that as well. That has not changed and never will. Wants that relationship as well. Third, three, we've continued to defy or deny him. Even not intentionally, we still continue to, to solidify this gap. And the Bible is full of stories of people's, you know, sustaining this gap. Cain killed his brother Abel and then lying to God about it. This is the very first generation following the garden. These are Adam and Eve's children. And we didn't get off to a very good start. And the first test in the Bible is filled with God's chosen people, the Israelites, putting themselves through this Deuteronomic cycle of being rescued by God. Oh, thank God you, you, know, you saved us. Then creating gaps by disobedience and sin. And then, being, and then falling out of God's favor and then being oppressed. I mean, they went through periods of slavery and exile and hardship. And they'd say, Lord, send us a, a savior. And he'd send another savior, a Moses, right? Or, or Jacob, or he'd send someone and, and God would respond and faithfully send someone to rescue them. And, and the cycle has repeated itself time and time again until God finally said enough. I'm gonna provide a savior once and for all, literally once and literally for all. And we know the scripture, say it with me, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He said, this is my solution. And the good news is continued in verse 17. He says, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn it. He said, I'm not gonna take care of this by... He said, I'm gonna send a once and for all times savior. That's what I'm gonna do. And that's how God addressed this gap from his side. And we know that God is holy and we know that God is sovereign. And we know that he cannot forgo his holiness, holiness no matter how much he wants this relationship with us. And, and we have proven that we are unable to achieve that level of righteousness on our own. There had to be a solution where God maintained sanctity and we were brought into reconciliation with him. Remember, he had already made a covenant promise to not wipe, out, wipe the slate clean, right? And start all over. Whew. Right? Following Noah, it was like, okay, I, I promise I won't do that again. But 
Boy, you're making this hard on me, man and women. <laughs> the world I created. So Jesus became the way. Should I flip this slide? You're probably familiar with this. This is, you know, part of the Romans road. And, and a lot of times people put this on a, a whiteboard. And they'll draw, the, draw this clip, cliff, cliff. You know, there's, there we are on one side with our, the wages of sin is death, right? All the bad stuff. And on the other side is God and there's this chasm that we think is hell or just separation, right? But, but hell is a separation from God. Hell is undesirable because that's where God is not. Heaven is, is heaven because that's where God is. And the Romans 6.23, which the other says, for the wages of sin is death. And, and if you look at this definition, death means separation. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So flip the slide. And, th and this is usually the next thing that's drawn in is the cross that sits perfectly in this chasm or this gap that makes that bridge. Jesus Christ is the way to connect us and get us across. And, and that's, that is the image. But minding the gap is a little more complicated, right? The Bible records many words of guidance and also warnings along with its instructions. I mean, a lot of the, of the scripture is historical. A lot of it's love letters to us and, and our love letters to God. But there are some, some clear instructions and warnings. And we know the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. And it means anything. Money, career, relationship. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your mother and your father. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. Now, some of those are easy, right? How many people have to be reminded not to kill? But how many people have to be reminded not to covet? You know, you see the nice boats cruising down the lake or the, the nice house on the road on the way to church or wherever, and you're like, that's nice, you know? Again, not that I don't want them to have it, but I wouldn't mind having that. That's coveting, okay? And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying these down to just a handful of words for the Ten Commandments, but make note that these are recorded in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is a story of the Ten Commandments, and, and they, you know, they elaborate a little more than obviously my, my bullet point of the Ten Commandments, and certainly um, it is worth your time and study. But these Ten Commandments isn't this end-all, be-all list, right? It's not a checklist of, I, okay, I, I have or have not done these ten things, so I've got it right. It's not that. They're really a starting point for the parameters of godly living. Their, their lessons continued for 40 years. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, There's a starting point for the, for the Israelites for godly living, right? These were things handed down to them because, like, okay, you, you rescued us from Egypt, and now we're on the way to this land that's promised. We don't know how long we're going to be there. It ends up, you know, 40 years before they got there. But along the way, they didn't know if it was the next day or 200 years. We know in, in hindsight it's 40 years. But as they're wandering, and, and, and they were already, oh, you know, questioning Moses and questioning God. Why did you, why'd you pull us out of there? At least we were slaves, but now we're out here, we're starving. And God continued to rescue them. God continued to provide for them. And, and he knew that they had to have some loving limits, some boundaries. So he, he gave them these 10 commandments, okay? Until you get your next set of instructions, live by these. This is a starting point for your living. These lessons continued for 40 years as they wandered around this wilderness on their way to the promised land. Yet they, they still didn't master these, right? And we still have not today. 
Even during Jesus' time on earth, he taught that he did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, right? He didn't say, I'm coming to get rid of these 10 rules and, and the other things you've been taught. He says, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He spent his years teaching the application of these rules, which, to be completely honest, haven't changed. But listen to how he did this from the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5 is this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts with the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, you're familiar with that. But he gets into this really awesome sermon. And, and so I'm going to just jump ahead to verse 21, because he, he goes into some of these Ten Commandments, and he, he makes them applicable to the people that were hearing him. So verse 20 says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Fair enough. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, he's saying it's not just about killing them. You know, you're supposed to be kind to them. Verse 27, again, he says, you have heard it said. I love that. He's not saying I've got new instructions. He goes, you've read it. You've heard it. You've been taught this. You've heard it said. You shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or I'd add a man lustfully, has already committed adultery with her or him in, in their heart, right? He's not saying that if you're going to be so legalistic about it, you're missing the spirit of what God is telling you to do about godly living. This is a part of that gap that we create by going, I'm going to be a little bit legalistic in these things, right? We've been instructed. We've been given guidelines and we've been warned. We can no longer plead ignorance to the cause of the separation that we've created between ourselves and God. I mean, we, mankind, and, and we as individuals. But let me ask you, what do you think is more dangerous? The danger that you see and is well-marked or the one that is unseen or unmarked? Right? Because sometimes, I don't know, how many times have you seen a sign that says wet paint and you got to make sure it's right? But at least you're warned, you know, or do not cross or no trespassing or the caution tape. So, yes, that is dangerous in, 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 in that. But the ones that are more perilous are the ones that aren't well marked or the ones we become complacent with. The unseen is very dangerous. And that's why signs are posted everywhere. It's also the purpose of the visual and audible reminder of mind the gap, mind the gap. So from Titus, again, to Verses 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I pause here because it offers, we have to accept it, to all people. To all people it's offered. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I love that though. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And that was present age then. I'd say we're, we're subject to the same temptations now. We face a challenge in this that the devil wants to widen that gap. Right? He can't defeat God. God's already defeated him. But he's subtle and deceptive and works quietly to gray that line that the Bible so plainly puts in black and white. Right? I think that's why Jesus comes in and goes, you know, it's not just a matter of you can't kill someone. You've got to be kind to them. It's not just a matter that you can't cheat on your spouse, but you, you can't 
you know, you got to just be faithful. And, and he goes through all this stuff and, and, and dives into it. And, and we know that there are idols other than false gods and statues that can steal our time and energy away from God. So Jesus said, explains what these are. And, and part of our, our job as Christians today in, in studying the Bible is to understand and apply these things, not just in such a literal way that we miss the spirit of the message that is designed to keep us out of trouble. John 10, 10 says, the thief, we know what the thief is, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that, that they may have life and have it to the full. These are the competing entities in your life. Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned to Peter. And remember, Peter is his, his, the one he's gonna build the church on. And, and they had a really close relationship and, and Peter had gotten some of the answers right. But Peter got in his own way too sometimes and, and Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's what Satan does. He, he creates these stumbling blocks that are they're very subtle that get in the way of what we're trying to do. And lastly, 1 Peter 5, 9, this warning, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know, that's a part of the reason we gather as a congregation is because we encourage each other and support each other, even in temptation. And temptation doesn't have to be these things like lust and murder. It can be discouragement. It can be anger and frustration. It can be fear of what's going on in the world. You see, the, the world might say, I'm just having a good time. You know, probably a lot of these things being said around the lake this weekend. I'm just out with my friends. I'm just celebrating, just scratching an itch, letting some steam off. I'm not hurting anyone, right? But God looks at it and says, sin is evil. You're not, but sin is. And what you're doing is wicked. What you're doing is a transgression and iniquity and injustice. And what you're doing is putting a wedge between, this is God saying, between the life that I have designed for you and the life that you're experiencing. That wedge is there and you're creating it by the choices you're making. And most importantly saying, you're creating a wedge between you and me. But there is good news. The devil and even death itself has been defeated. You know, if you check the scoreboard, God is one. But James 4, 7 empowers us by reminding us, says, submit yourselves then to, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But listen to this warning from 1 Corinthians six eighteen: Flee from sexual immorality. And likewise in 2 Timothy two twenty two: Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness. Faith, love, and peace, along with those who call the Lord out of a pure heart. Why would God tell us that we have the power to resist the devil and, and the devil will flee us, but we ourselves must flee things like sexual morality and certain temptations? Because this is a subtle and slippery slope of sin. I don't think it was coincidence that Jesus made reference to it when he was addressing the commandment regarding adultery. And that's just one example that, that the devil chips away at. You know, again, compare television in the evening, what's on versus what 10, 20 versus 50 years ago. And I'm not talking about the real profound stuff like, like Lord, uh, Warden and June Cleaver didn't share a bed, right? I'm talking about 
the language and the, the implications and the, the things that become societal norms because we become so desensitized. That's a, a gray area that's been, that's been fuzzied, you know? And now you're just looking at it and you're saying, I guess that's the way people talk. I guess that's what people do. I guess that's how people behave now. You know, the days of a handshake aren't, aren't viable anymore because, you know, no one can be trusted. Gosh, I hope that's not the way it is. But with all the confidence that we can have standing up to this, and, you know, and again, it's, it's Paul that says, you know, put on this armor to stand up against say, well, it says, But I'll tell you, the courageous Christian will stand up to the will, and, and, but, but also will know when to flee. Friends, we must mind this gap. Being keenly aware of its existence and its dangers, we must accept the measures that God has provided to warn us about it to protect us from it and to bridge it, right? Acts 17, 27 assures us God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from each one of us. That gap is there because we put it there. It's only as wide as we allow it to become. And as we prepare for communion here in a moment, I would like to share a passage and then an illustration. This is again from Paul's letters. This is Romans 3, 21 through 26. It says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Thus righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There is now a way to bridge that gap. There's an illustration that I I came across in my studies. And it tells a story of an immigrant family from Europe, and they were traveling by ship to the United States. The time period is unknown, but since it's by ship, I'm assuming it's been quite a while ago. And it said the family was of very limited means, and the parents had packed a large supply of crackers and cheese just to sustain them on the journey. The entire family stayed together in one cabin, and each mealtime ate the crackers and cheese together just to, because they were just trying to get to America. Most of the journey was over and only a few days remained. And as the family was walking around the deck before lunchtime, the, the wonderful aromas of the food cooking the kitchen adjacent to the dining hall wafted out onto the deck. And tired of eating crackers and cheese, the children of the immigrant family savored the delicious smells and played with their father for some of the food. And after his, getting his family back to their cabin, the father approached the ship's captain privately and said, how, how much would it cost for my family to have one meal, just one meal in the ship's dining room? And the captain said, I don't know what you mean. Haven't you been eating there the whole time? And I said, no, we, you know, we don't have much. So we've been eating food that we brought in our cabin just to get by. And the captain said, didn't you know that when you bought your ticket, the price included all your meals in the dining room? It's already been paid for. You see, Jesus Christ has made every preparation. He's paid that ticket. And you were entitled to all the grace and benefits that come with the righteous life as if there were no gap. We still need to be mindful of the gap, but we also need to be mindful of the solution that bridges it. 
Jesus Christ, again, has prepared this ticket and prepared the meal. And he says, come to the table. So I'm going to close with a word of prayer and then we'll celebrate communion. Heavenly Father, we can't say that we weren't told about the rules. Lord, we can't say that we aren't aware that they aren't for our own well-being and to help us lead a life that is protected and and closer to how you let us live. And and we know from the promises of, of your word that you have a life abundant, a good life planned for each one of us. But we also know that we have all played our parts in in creating this gap that exists. So we need to be mindful of the things that, that make this gap wider or deeper. But even more importantly, even more importantly, we need to be aware that there is a, a bridge of reconciliation. You sent your son in this world with no small task, and that was to, to bring us together. And that was accomplished on the cross and is still being accomplished every day as he continues to work on our behalf, interceding and, and pleading and, and moving pieces in conjunction with you to give us opportunities to choose the right thing, the right way to live and act and think and speak. So Lord, help us to choose that. You've planted within us a desire to have the relationship with you and you've given us a, a means to, to fulfill it. So Lord, let us, let us do that very thing. So as we look at the communion table, as we take communion here in a moment, let us remember what it commemorates. That first evening when, when Jesus gave his body, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And Lord, like anything, in order to be consumed and and taken in for our good, it had to be broken. And Lord, and as he took that cup and he prayed and he gave thanks to you and he, he poured that wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Not that the old covenant has gone away. We still cherish the benefits, every single one of the covenants you've made to us and, and your people since the beginning of time. But he said, this is a new covenant. It's the covenant of the cross that says we have a direct and personal relationship with you now. Father God, let us not squander this one bit. Let us relish the privilege and do what's right by sharing this good news with others, by not only leading them into a conversation and a relationship with you, but teaching them to do the same to others. We've got a long ways to go to to get this world to where you want it to be, but Lord, we're gonna do our part and that's what we commit to but it all starts with accepting this invitation. So you say, come to the table and that's what we're gonna do. And we thank you for that. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.